You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Jesus, amen. Dear saints, God the Holy Spirit has for us, for our comfort and for our wisdom, this text today, the visit of Jesus to the Pharisees for supper on the Sabbath. And we see in it Jesus getting after the Pharisees and getting after, the, and getting after them in two different ways. He first heals this man as dropsy, and then second, he tells the parable about where to sit at the wedding feast. And both of them are a rebuke of the Pharisees and instruction for the Pharisees, and both of them are a rebuke for us and an instruction for us. But how? In fact, let's start this way. I've got a definition of Phariseeism that I want to run by you and see if it works. It's a definition with two parts. First, that the Pharisee, Phariseeism is a self-righteousness through a well-constructed set of good works which results in part two pride. So it's a, 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 the Pharisees thought that they were righteous and holy because they were keeping all of the rules to the game that they had invented. That they had said, here's what it means to be good and righteous and holy. And it happens to be just what they were doing. So then they were proud of themselves. They were convinced that they were holy. They were convinced that they were set to stand before God on the day of judgment. Now, the reason why this matters is because this Phariseeism belongs to all of us. It's the native theology of our sinful flesh. We've said this before, but all of us have a Pharisee, a little Pharisee living inside of us. We all want to be righteous in our own eyes, and we want to be righteous in our neighbor's eyes, and we want to be righteous in God's eyes. So that when Jesus on this day is getting after the Pharisees, he is also getting after us. In both of these ways, he first assaults our own understanding of our self-righteousness that we have through all of our making up our rules, what it means to be good and holy, and then he gets after our pride. So first... Jesus heals the man. And he heals him on the Sabbath. In fact, the whole text seems like a setup. They invite Jesus over for dinner. Hey, Jesus, want to come and have the Sabbath meal with us? Sure. And then Jesus walks in, and there right in front of him is a sick man. Now, these Pharisees know Jesus. Every time Jesus sees someone who needs healing, who needs help, who's afflicted in any way, the text says that he has compassion on them. That is, literally, his bowels spill out for them. He just is moved to the deepest part of his own humanity to care for these people. So he walks in on the Sabbath, and there's a man who's sick, placed conveniently in Jesus' way by the Pharisees. So they'll see what he, he'll do. Now, it's amazing to us that to heal a man on the Sabbath would go against the Pharisees' laws, but they had built a, a, this incredibly complex system of what it meant to keep the Sabbath. We know the third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And so the Pharisees, the rabbis, these, all these different schools had had all these questions about, about what it meant to keep the Sabbath, what it meant to not work on the holy day. They had rules about how far you could walk, how many steps you could take, how much you could carry. In fact, the rule was you could carry something the weight of a dried fig. That was the limit. They had rules about where you could spit. I've told, this is my favorite one. You could spit on the rock, but you couldn't spit on the dirt. Because if you spit on the rock, you're not watering a plant. But the chances are that if you spit on the dirt, you're watering a plant and you're doing work. 
And they had these long discussions about these rules. I was reading a little bit about it this morning. They had discussions, the rabbis, about how you could move things from one place to another. And one of the big conversations was this. If you had something in your hand, could you drop it on the Sabbath day? Or could you toss it up and catch it? And they decided that if you could, if you tossed it up and caught it in the same hand, that was okay. It wasn't work. If you, if you threw it up and you caught it in your mouth, that was also okay. It wasn't work. But if you threw it up and caught it in the other hand, that was breaking the Sabbath. And it was sin. <laughs> now, what, the interesting problem, and they, and they had long conversations about this, is that what happens if you're sitting there with a handful of fruit and your hand is outside the window and you're inside the window and the sun goes down, so the Sabbath, it's now time for the Sabbath. Now you're stuck because you can't drop the fruit because that would be planting a garden. You can't, care, you can't bring your arm inside the window because that would be bringing something from outside in. And you can't stand there like this all day. That's obviously work. So what do you do? You're stuck. And they couldn't figure out what to do. But they didn't, that didn't stop them from trying. I mean, they would spend hours and out pages, years, trying to sort out all of these things. Now, the law for healing was this. Apparently, you were permitted to apply a bandage on the Sabbath as long as you applied the bandage for the purpose of not... of making sure the wound didn't get worse. But if you applied a bandage with the intent of making the wound get better, that was breaking the Sabbath. Because you were healing and doing work on the holy day. Now, this is all ridiculous. But this is the point. We do the same thing. I mean, it's not with the Sabbath days. But we, but we would be wrong to think that here is God's standard for keeping the Sabbath day, and the Pharisees were building laws and laws and rules on top of that to make the keeping of the Sabbath day harder and more difficult. We would be wrong if we thought that the Pharisees were making God's law more intense and more difficult. That's false. Because God's law and the demands of God's law, that we love our neighbor as ourselves and that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, demand everything that we have. There is no demand that is higher than that. But what the Pharisees were doing was they were lowering the bar low enough so that they could jump over it, but hardly anybody else could. I mean, who could keep these Sabbath regulations unless you spent your whole life trying to keep them? This is the Pharisee trick. They made the rules in such a way that they would win the game every time and everyone they played against would lose. But they weren't strengthening the law, they were weakening the law. In fact, they were destroying the law. So God gave the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day, by keeping it holy, so that we would set aside at least a day every week to hear God's word. And what does the word say? God's Word commands us to love our neighbor and to trust in His promises. His Word is law and gospel, so that God says to do these things. And if we're going to keep His Word, not only are we going to hear it, but we're also going to do it. We don't just come to church on Sunday to hear God say, love your neighbor, but we also go and love our neighbor. That's keeping God's Word. That's treasuring His Word. 
You shouldn't come to church and say, oh, God wants me to love my neighbor. And then we go and we say, see our neighbor in need, but we say, but it's Saturday or it's Sunday. I got to take a nap and not work. I got to read my Bible. So the person who needs my help has to wait. No. To hear his word is to keep his word. So we see that the Pharisees had so arranged the Sabbath day, had so built all of these rules and regulations that, not, that, that they were forbidding one another from loving their neighbor. And not only that, they were in fact forbidding one another from keeping God's word. So Jesus shows up on the Sabbath to the Pharisee's house for a meal. And there in front of him is this tramp, this man who needs help. It's amazing to me that the Pharisees, who were so busy trying to not work on the Sabbath day, were also busy trying to trap Jesus on the same day. They didn't see that that was work. But they want to accuse him and put him to death. But Jesus sees the trap and he walks straight into it. It's amazing, really. He sees the, the, the man who needs healing. He sees the Pharisees. He looks around them and before he does anything, he says to the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they don't say anything. So Jesus looks at the man who needs his help. He heals him. He sends him home. And then he turns to the Pharisees and preaches a sermon. Which one of you, if you had a son or even an ox that fell into a pit on the Sabbath day, would not immediately rescue him and pull him out. And they were all silent. Because with this, Jesus has gotten after this first part of their Phariseeism. This self-righteousness through obedience to carefully constructed set of good works. Jesus is saying to them, you've missed the point of the law altogether. You who want to be teachers of the law, you haven't even learned. The law is not there. And this is for us. The law is not there to prove our own righteousness. The law does not exist so that we can walk around haughty, sure of ourselves, justified in our own doing. The law is not there so that we would be good or holy in our own sight. Or in the sight of our neighbor. No, the law is not there for this reason. Rather, the law is there to show us how to love our neighbor. And because we fail, the law is there to show us that we are sinners. That we are in desperate need of God's mercy. That we have failed in what we have said and what we've thought and what we've done. That we have failed to love our neighbor and failed to serve God. The law shows us that we should do these things, and the law, like a mirror, shows us that we have not done them. Instead of self-righteousness through obedience to carefully constructed good works, the law shows our sin. And then Jesus gets after the second part of Phariseeism, that is the resulting pride. It's amazing to me that just like, so, you know, the Pharisees had gathered this whole thing and set this whole thing up so that they could trap Jesus. And the text says that they were watching Jesus to see if he's going to make a false move, to see if he's going to heal the man or see if he's not going to heal the man. And, and damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. I mean, they want to trap Jesus. And so they're sitting there intently watching. But the text also says that Jesus was also watching them. 
as they were coming into the feast, Jesus had his eye on how they were acting, what they were doing. He noticed, and what did he notice about them? He noticed that when these Pharisees came into the feast, they were all jockeying for the best seats. They wanted to sit right there at the head of the table. This is how the Pharisees were. Uh, Jesus will make fun of them in this way. He says, they like to make their tassels long and their phylacteries broad. The phylactery, remember, was this leather box that held the Scriptures. And, And Jesus says that they go to the store to get the biggest box so they could wrap around their head for the prayers so that everyone would say, wow, look at how holy He is. The Pharisees liked to pray, remember, on the corner of the street. And they would make these long prayers so that the people would walk by and wonder at the, at the uh, great piety that these guys had. And the same thing happens in the feast. They go into the feast and they're sizing one another up and they're looking to see who's the most important and they're going to sit down trying to get the best spot. So Jesus tells them a parable. And I mean this parable is sticking a thumb in their eye. (laughs) Jesus says, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you being, being invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then with shame, you have to go and take the lower place. But rather, when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when the host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, and then you'll be honored by the presence of, in the presence of all those who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, this is good practical advice. I mean, whenever you go to a place, whenever you go to a dinner party or wedding or whatever, sit in the corner. And then if you're not supposed to be sitting in the corner, someone will be, someone will call you out of the corner and put you in a better place. But if you're supposed to be in the corner, then you can just stay there and you won't have to be embarrassed. But it's more than practical advice. This is spiritual advice. This is Jesus getting after the pride of the Pharisees and our own pride, saying that we, we ought to know our own sin. We ought to know what we deserve. We ought to know that when we come and stand before the Lord, that we're not to look for the good seats. We're to, we're to know that we don't even deserve to be in His presence at all. Instead of coming before the Lord with pride, being lifted up, being haughty and being sure of ourselves, when we come before the Lord and when we go to serve our neighbor, we come with humility, with lowliness, with a humbleness of heart. You see that Jesus is is getting after this Phariseeism, the self-righteousness through invented good works which results in pride. Jesus is getting after this because he knows that this is the path of destruction, that this is the path that leads to death. And he gives us, he wants to set us on the opposite of, of that, on the opposite path, which is repentance. Repentance is the mirror opposite of Phariseeism. So that instead of a self-righteousness through well-constructed set of good works, instead of that, we have contrition. We hear the law teaching us how to love one another, how to live godly and set-apart lives in this fallen world. And as we go about trying to serve God and trying to serve our neighbor, we realize what sinners we are, what failures we are. And even more, the law comes along and teaches us that we're worse than we even know. That, that, it's, that our sin is worse even than our sins. 
that our sin goes all the way down to the core, to the heart, so that we are unable to save ourselves. We are in desperate need of another, of a Savior, so that instead of self-righteousness, we confess that we are sinful and unclean, that we are poor, miserable sinners, that we have deserved God's wrath and punishment. And this means, secondly, that instead of pride, Jesus wants to give us humility and faith. Because even as we realize we need a Savior, we also realize that we have a Savior. Jesus. The Pharisees, remember, the Pharisees don't need anybody to save them. At least that's what they thought. In their own eyes, they've managed to become righteous and holy on their own. Like Jesus says to them, that those who are well have no need of a physician. If you think you're healthy, you never go to the doctor. If you think you're good, you never look for a Savior. That's the Pharisee problem, but we know better than that. We know that we're in desperate need of a Savior and a Deliverer. And we know that Jesus has done it. That he has delivered us. That he has died for our sins. That his blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We know, we know that we do not deserve a seat at the table of God, but that Jesus through his death and his resurrection has made a place for us. That he has set us set the table of God's righteousness for us, that he has put our names on the seat that is right next to him in the heavenly places. And that he says to each one of us, friend, come up here. Come sit by me. I mean, can, you, can you imagine it? Our, our place should be next to the devil in the lowest and hottest parts of hell. But Jesus says to each one of you, friend, come come and sit by me. I've prepared a place for you that where I am, you will be also. Come and eat with me, he says. Come and share in my life and my holiness and my righteousness and my friendship. We who are the lowliest of all, we sinners, Jesus exalts. God be praised. So this Phariseeism that sits in our hearts has to be put to death so that God the Holy Spirit can replace it with repentance, with contrition over our sins, with faith in the promise. And by this, We come to life. We come to eternal life. We come to the forgiveness of sins. We come to the place where instead of of trying to trap Jesus or instead of trying to, to fight against Jesus or put Jesus to death, we come at last to the place where we rejoice in Christ and treasure everything that he's done, knowing that everything that he has done, he's done for us. May God, the Holy Spirit, continue to grant us this repentance, this contrition and faith, in the name of Jesus. Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.